So do you have anything to uh, look forward to writing-wise or things that are giving you like a, you know, glimmers of hope on the horizon? Well, I have like some things that I could say are hope. Um, I have a poetry chapbook coming out with blue books um, in the spring or summer, I think. Um, so I guess, I guess it's like inspiring that like if you write something and people like it, it'll get out there in the world. Um, and I am, I'm also going to this um, conference, the Bread, uh, Bread Loaf Conference, Environmental Conference in Vermont in May, just to like be a part of the writing community because I don't have one here. And I feel like I have FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's FOMO or that lack of like, I don't know, surrounded by others who are struggling or inspired like me to write um so those are like things i'm looking forward to in terms of writing but mm. i'm not actually like writing <laughs> i'm just like going places and doing things <laughs> that that counts that's all part of the process right right yeah. it's the fruit of your labor i guess yes and it's all things hmm? it's it's things too that will like kind of jog your your creative impulses, I think. That's what I'm rooting on, like going to Vermont, <laughs> like <laughs> like talking to writers and I'm supposed to have something to share with them for some workshops. So like it's putting on the pressure for sure. Like I need right. shit to get over there and share it with these wonderful people um, and not be embarrassed to death about it. So like I have pressure, like I've, I've lit a fire under my ass, which is great. Cause that's how we got the masters done. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. The The best way to get something done is to make a huge gamble that you will do it. And then you have to. <laughs> but is that the only way we can work? Um, By pressuring ourselves into it? <laughs> no comment. No comment, yeah. Well, um, maybe yes, because... So here's one of my things that uh, is really exciting for me, and I haven't told many people this yet so like world premiere okay so in 2015 2016 phoebe and i edited sun a collection of solar punk stories and mm -hmm. uh we've been you know like kind of working on uh, just various solar punk projects since then we put together a pitch for the series called salvaging the anthropocene about Ooh. Um, like basically we're looking at ways of making a solar punk manual and hmm. the, the book series is about, you know, various responses to the fact that we're facing some form of ecological and environmental crisis and like how that's, you know, how that ripples through daily lives, not just like academically, but everywhere right um so we put together this pitch and heard back last week from the publisher and they're really interested in it so now we are putting together like an introduction and some chapters and we're you know getting a list of like people we want to like see about contributing and stuff so i may have a good amount of 
academic-ish writing to do in the near future. <laughs> but yeah, so it uh, feels nice and very, you know, validating to just see someone say like, wow, this idea you had, we really like that. Oh, yeah, I bet. And also, it's interesting that like, you're like, because what you edited with Phoebe um, was uh, an anthology of creative work. And now it seems like you're entering like academic stuff or are you still going to um, feature creative work in this in this book? So it won't be creative work like it was last time where we had fiction, poetry and uh, some line drawings and stuff mm -hmm. but it's not exactly academic either so we're going to have a lot of information about uh you know the kind of like diy aspects of solar punk um we're going to have things or we're you know throwing around the idea of having like recipes and blueprints but also you know some theory looking at Kind of the the ways solar punk can be transformative and uh, anti capitalist, and how it can just sort of holistically uh, push back against the sort of end of the world that we're living in. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a mix. It's going to be partially academic, partially non academic, and we want it to be as accessible as possible to both crowds oh i love this i feel like that's going to be good teaching material <laughs> for my class <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well oh, congratulations sure. you guys are moving Thank forward you. with it that's awesome yeah so it's not set in stone yet but they're like i said they were super into the idea we've just got to mm -hmm. do some of the beginning work now and go from there and then one of the other things that you know has been partially giving me hope but partially also being an excuse for me to not keep working <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that in like november i started sending out uh i started sending out queries to agents for my novel right and one of the first agents i contacted said hey this sounds awesome send me the full manuscript ooh Awesome. So I, yeah, I sent that out and um, he's had it for, you know, like 73 days now, but who's counting? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Both that we're uh, the same person here. <laughs> I know. Every day counts. <laughs> um, but again, it's really heartening to have someone have looked at my work or the beginnings of my work and say, I'm interested in this, send it oh, along. Yeah. Um, of course, after that happened, I was like so stoked that I told myself I'd take a break from querying for a few days and then I haven't done it since. <laughs> 73 days? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's a bad uh, strategy, but I'm sticking with it. Yeah, maybe it'll pay off. Maybe you're putting some good energy out in the universe. <laughs> uh, I, I remember there's like this bunch of like, I don't remember the hashtag, which I probably should on the Twitter, the Twitter, the Twitter feed on um, like pitching. And there was this woman who had pitched her novel like 250 times. Wow. And then it came through and it was beautiful. But damn. 
that's a lot. That it's it's a lot. I didn't know there were that many publishers. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's pretty cool. Does, did he give you a timeline or? Uh, no, he said he added it to his reading queue, uh, and who knows how long that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I got the email from him, I I had expected it to take longer for him to respond to me, but it was like. 12 hours later that he emailed me back to say send more so i was not prepared because i had just started doing a couple of edits that i thought i would have the weekend to do at least right so i was like uh hey is it okay if i send this to you in a couple of days instead of immediately because there's a couple of tweaks and he he just said trust me i have plenty to read this weekend (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so who knows it may be a long reading queue or it could be you know a serious consideration at this point mm-hmm. i don't know i try not to think about it too much that immediate response that's something yeah that's something also, incredible it, yes yes wow. it, that was like i was ecstatic but also really nervous to have seen that email the next day hmm. i bet <laughs> i bet you were like what did i do wrong <laughs> <laughs> What did I fuck up? And he's emailing me about Uh, this whole pitching thing is crazy. Um, Because the only thing that I have complete that's like substantial work is my short story collection. Um, And you were there at Wiscon, which is like this conference, this sci-fi conference in Madison, Wisconsin. And you were there with me when I was like talking to this dude. (laughs) about my stories and he was like hold on a second you should talk to this other dude and then i just like fucking pitched my thing my my project thing my thesis to this publisher guy um and then he said "Uh, add me on facebook (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it moved so quickly that was that was a whirlwind of the day and i was just watching it happen (laughs) (laughs) yeah dude that was insane conferences are are crazy. Writing conferences are crazy. Yes. And Wisconsin's, you know, an especially interesting iteration of the conference convention uh, sort of ordeal because it's a little bit of both. And sometimes you're, you know, going there just to have fun. And sometimes you are like hardcore putting yourself out there and talking to and being in the same room with people who you thought were, you know, uh, maybe... Mm-hmm. past the point of being human who are unreachable <laughs> and i think why i had so much success my first wiscon was because i was just in there for fun like mm. and first time in madison i was just having a great time i ended up sitting in a fucking table with like the greatest writers of our genre <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> you came back and be friend- <laughs> yeah and befriending like one of the most beautiful um editors uh translators of our time um and i i can't believe that all happened that was great i know in like two days yeah that's how maybe we should go to all conferences just be like i'm just here to have a good time yeah i think that's (laughs) definitely what i'm doing this time around so rather than news for your own self what about you know other things that you have to look forward to in like the creative world or uh you know like things that are inspiring to you externally um so what i have to look forward to is just a stack of books that i have here um that i have not had the chance to jump into and devour um 
And these are books that I know fit with my genre needs. Like they're young adult fiction. They're environmental focused books. Um, they are about people of color texts. They're speculative fiction. So they are just things that I want to get into and I should. But I've been having this like not only a writing slump of sorts, but a reading slump. Oh, which... reading slumps are the worst. Which is something very unnatural because reading brings me joy, but also writing. See, that's the thing. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, mm-hmm. Reading, like, almost always brings me joy. And so when I hit a reading slump, it's such an uncomfortable thing. Because reading is almost never, like, bittersweet the way writing can be. Yeah. Or difficult the way writing can be. A lot of times I'm like, oh, yes, I really want to read a book. And I pick it up and start reading and feel all of a sudden just like all of my all of my like intensity toward reading fall away. And I'm like, what? I can't read a book. Oh, and it might, that's horrible. It might last like a day or a week or like mm-hmm. a month one time, but it, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> It makes no sense. No, for real. It's like your own body, your own brain depriving you of joy. That's really what it is. It is. Yeah. So what I did, because I'm a sneaky motherfucker, is I put in uh, my syllabi for my classes. Such good reading. Oh, you're a genius. (laughs) That I have to read because I'm going to teach it. (laughs) (laughs) That is verifiably the best way to get some reading done. Oh, of course. Like, I could teach a course one-on-one on how to, like, <laughs> evade your depression. <laughs> how uh, to trick yourself into doing things. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully no ex-students are listening to this because I will admit that there were a number of times in my classes I put something on, like, or I assigned some reading just because I hadn't been able to make myself read it and I knew that I wanted to read it for the class anyway. <laughs> Uh, it works well, yeah, longer. yeah. Um, I kind of did too. Like, well, I chose writers that I knew and things that I have, have heard of, and I was like, "This Ugh. is gonna fit this," but that's only like ten percent of the of the syllabi. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. By no means a majority. <laughs> By no means is like I chose a bunch of texts that I have no idea what they are, and we're just in it for we're we're in it for the ride at the same time, guys. <laughs> we're in it together. <laughs> uh, in the best way. Yeah, in the best way. So what are some of these readings that you have put on your list? Well, let me just tell you. Um, This week we read Karen Russell. We read Vampires in Lemon Grove, which is my favorite short story about vampires. They're in a marriage. They're breaking up. Some cheating happening. It's amazing. So we had a lot of fun talking about monsters. Can I share with you one of my favorite vampire stories really quick? Yeah, 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 please. Uh, it's Don Johnson, mm-hmm. A Guide to the Fruits of Hawaii. Have you no. read that? Okay. Add it to your vampire okay. list. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it, but it was like so subversive and so interesting and so beautifully written. I have a deep love for Don Johnson just 
based on that story. Ooh, I love that. Well, Karen Russell's story is magnificent. Also, I like how these two stories involve fruit. <laughs> yeah. What is it with the vampires and fruit? Yeah, there's something in there. Well, Karen Russell is one of my one of my heroes uh, in the speculative fiction world. She just, that line between reality and what could not be, never be, it's just like non-existent in her work. It just is. I love that. Yeah. So we read that. Um, we also read Neil Gaiman's story, um, um, A Study in Emerald. Mm, which is okay. which is like this retelling of a study in Scarlet, like the Sherlock Holmes story, book, novel. Um, but he mixed it up a lot and he put some like H.P. Lovecraft mythology in there, which my students were like, whoa, you can mix universes. And I was like, yeah, you can do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and that was beautiful because this one is like three pages because, you know, students. So it had to be short. <laughs> No disrespect. I just didn't shy away from giving like 50 page chapters from Greg Grandin to my students. Different type of class though. Yeah, yeah. Different type of class. What else did I read? Oh, I read, well, we read uh, by Amy Bender, The Remember, which is a story about her boyfriend who is experiencing reverse evolution. So he is a gorilla, and then he's like a sea turtle, and then a salamander. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like different bits of magic um, combined with like realism, um, and it, it helped my students think outside the box, because I don't want to read any fiction that's boring. Right. Yeah, that's, so, that's relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so. so that's how I tricked myself into reading things that I like. <laughs> that's such a good idea. Um, so recently... I have been reading N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy. Oh yeah, you told me. And that has been giving me lots of lots of energy. Just they're such good books to read. They they read quickly, but also like you can get very deeply into them, and they're interesting and you know beautifully written throughout. And uh, I think it also helps that I've owned the first book for like almost a year, but I made myself wait until January to start reading them. Why? Because I'm trying to do like 2019 reading authors I haven't read before. Mm. And I had somehow not read any of Jemison's previous books. So I, I held off and I started there. Uh, I also, I I've, I've, was looking through all all of my books today and felt a little bit like reading slumped mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out like what it was. I just like looked at all of these books that I had planned on reading and I'm like, none of these feel exactly right at the moment. Um, but then you reminded me that I still haven't read Sing Unburied Sing. Ooh, girl. <laughs> so I am putting that at the top of my list and uh, getting that from my local library as soon as possible. Oh, please. That book changed my life. I read that last summer and that book just like, I read it um, while I was visiting my boyfriend in Michigan and he was working, we were in his like astrophysics department and he was like working in his office and uh, he stuck me into this like study room and he heard (laughs) me crying from the room. He's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, this book. (laughs) it changed my life it just i I feel it in my bones still i really hope you like it i'm 
getting really excited for it. And also, uh, Marlon James' new book is coming out Mm. Tuesday. So that's another one at the top of my list and one that, you know, I've been hearing hype about for like three or four years. So Mm -hmm. I've been ready at this point to read that book. Oh, wonderful. This brings me to like a question I wanted to ask you, which is, do you read, that sounds mean, anything else other than fiction? (laughs) Do you (laughs) dabble into other genres? Do I dabble? Yes, Uh, I dabble here and there uh just yesterday mm-hmm. i sat down and read um a chat book of poetry from kai davis oh and nice i can't think of the name of that chat book off the top of my head but i i think you were there i saw davis uh do some you know spoken word in a poetry reading in ames a couple of years back so i was revisiting that chat book today but I also recently have been reading a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, okay, so I have sorted through all of my books and shelved all of my books except the ones that I want to get to very soon. Mm-hmm. And I have about 60 books lying on my floor right now. Oh, yeah, sounds like, sounds uh, like a common issue. <laughs> yeah, but I'm reading, you know, here and there I'll read a couple pages out of this Colin Ward reader I have. I recently found an anthology edited by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, who authored An Indigenous People's History of the United States. Right. Which is an amazing book that everyone should read. And this anthology is like collections on anarcho-feminism. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. And then I've been doing a bunch of like environmental nonfiction Mm -hmm. reading too. I've got Mm -hmm. the Pine Barrens, John McPhee over here that I want to read soon. And I spent the whole like of last year reading and rereading and making my students read sections from Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I've talked your ear off about that book. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in the last year, I've probably read just as much nonfiction as I have uh, fiction. What about you? Does your your brain work the same way when you're reading that? Because when I'm reading fiction, it's like I'm half immersed in the universe and also like half trying to conceive how this person can write such a beautiful story. So I'm like looking at their craft. Um, does that happen to you with nonfiction? Yeah, occasionally it does, but more in the form of how can someone ever write so much on one topic? <laughs> but like in a in a marveling way. Oh, okay, like, yeah, okay, I see. I need to learn how to do this. Oh, shit. Uh, so I think the the reading experience is similar, but I have to read nonfiction in chunks. Mm. Like I am only able to read, you know, a chapter at a time and then have to set it down and go do other stuff. Whereas with like the Broken Earth trilogy, I'd read like 150 pages and it, I wouldn't have even, you know, been up like a couple of hours already. And I'm like, I'm going to just keep reading all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Well, for me, when I read like poetry and nonfiction, I put my like teacher cap on and I'm like, how can I teach this to my creative writing class or my rhetoric class? And I feel like sometimes it takes a little bit of joy out of it. But um, recently I went to the beach with my friends and I took the book Hunger by Roxanne Gay with me. And I sat there in the beach and I fucking chewed that book appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> me acabé, me devoré ese libro, um, like, just like an afternoon on the beach. Wow. Yeah. No, I couldn't. They were like, you want some, you want some camarón? And I was like, hold on a second, man. <laughs> such a good part right now. Um, wow. Yeah. And then, like, the other, then the next day, I just, like, devoured also caveat bars, like, on um, mm. calling a wolf a wolf. Um, and I don't know what it's me with the beach, but... I just, I could, I definitely could step out of that teacher mindset and just like enjoy really good writing, really, really good writing. But now that I'm back here in Quito and it's the middle of the semester, like I try to read Hanif Abdul-Rakib's They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, which I teach some chapters for in my class, but I'm trying to reread because I also want to write about nonfiction about like my experience in race um, in Quito. And I just... It's it's sort of different for me. I'm thinking like, oh, this is a format of a personal essay. Here we have the, um, the context. Here's a story which is dabbled with reflection and blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that I'm like with a teaching cap on. Um, yeah. But I really wish I could, yeah, like have the ability to step out from that and then, you know, try to push myself to write it too. I feel like I should be my own teacher. <laughs> I would love to have my me as a teacher, man. Not to be like narcissistic or anything, but I would be like, girl, you better bring me a chapter next class. And I'd be like, yes, for you, I do it. <laughs> a momentary tangent, but I was just thinking the other day about how cool it would be to be able to like meet up with alternate timeline versions of myself and basically do that or like do projects together with the the me that learned how to do something else that did like did a different major in college and yeah teacher me would i, w I would love to be my own student <laughs> <laughs> you sound like um one thing that i learned from therapy <laughs> is that it's important to like go back and talk to your past self. And so I was talking to my teenager self, teenager self, which you know is very rebellious. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you have beauty in there, girl. Don't let it go. And then I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this really works. I really just <laughs> entered that space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, um, but do you, do you, have you written anything in nonfiction that you, well, you're going to write this academic thing soon. Right. Yeah. I have the, the, chapter that we're putting together to write. Um, I haven't written a lot of nonfiction, no. I wrote one essay my final year at the MFA, and that mm -hmm. was like the first time I had ever tried to do like a non-personal essay. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a whole mess, but I also got a little bit obsessed with writing it. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah. It, and it was, of course, like the first time I tried to write an essay, I realized that it needed to have an intensely complicated structure because I was really talking about four different things and then, you know, putting them together. And I was like, great, Bronte, why did you do this to yourself? Why not just write a normal essay first? Which, mm. this must be a recurring problem because I talked about last time, my inability to just write a short story. Yeah, yeah. But I would like to. I have a number of, you know, back burner, very beginning stages, projects that I would like to do in nonfiction and also a number of them in the other formats I dabble in because I read not as much anymore but I, I read a lot of 
comics and graphic novels. And mm-hmm. I also really, really have a great love for various types of animation. Right. So like my brother and I have been <laughs> watching and rewatching uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. And now we're on to The Legend of Korra. And something about animated shows like also Steven Universe and Adventure Time mm-hmm. and a number of other shows just like they all carry a lot of emotional weight for me. Mm-hmm. So we're like watching episodes of Korra where just normal things happen. I'm like, it's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I don't like, <laughs> And and your bro's like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> He's like looking at his phone. <laughs> and I'm like, but didn't you see how Cora just did that? Oh, uh, Yeah, so that's one of the other, like, one of my primary genres of, of consumption is mm-hmm. animated things in various forms. Well, one of the most, like, coolest things about our program was that we got to jump from genre to genre every semester because, you know, there wasn't a lot of teaching options uh, or class <laughs> options there. But, like, I got to, because my primary focus there was fiction, like, I wanted to learn how to write a good story. But I also took, like, drama classes, like, writing fucking plays um, and writing screenplays and poetry which like I think it changed my prose overall because we had this professor who one time he was um worship workshopping like my piece and he was like Anna you're you're taking too long to get there and what he meant was like I'm using too many words to say one thing and from then man I've been the most like concise bitch in this planet it's like <laughs> it's helped my writing so much um mm-hmm. so I think it's so beautiful that like our brains think in different genres and we sort of focus on just one most of the time, but we're maybe trained or have the capacity to jump somewhere else and do well and have fun in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that kind of intergenre consumption definitely, but also working in different genres is super crucial. Every time I've done it, it has like rewired my writing brain. Mm, oh, yeah. Um, it's it's strange and then also every time that or the more i think about it the more you know the lines between all of these genres really begin to blur Mm -hmm. i don't know that i have anything deep to say on that but i'm like (laughs) fiction uh you know like why can't fiction also be poetry and like would i really call you know this you know style of animation would i would i call that you know fiction would i call it a story does it need to be its own separate category is mm-hmm. this tv show maybe just poetry that's how i sort of went into my poetry workshop because i was like the first day i was like just so you guys know um i write fiction so <laughs> this poetry thing like I don't know, I'm just giving it a try. And then they would talk about line breaks and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm going to write a flash story that's also a poem. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why all my poems are tiny paragraphs. (laughs) But I was was like... really into the idea of just like blurring that line between poetry and fiction and just like making something maybe new or just making something you know prose poetry uh work for me and i <laughs> found my i found my little like space in there and that's where my chapter checkbook is like chapbook is it's like just paragraphs <laughs> but really really cute and enjoyable <laughs> this is me advertising my book and cute paragraphs um about venezuela and Ecuador. <laughs> I am so excited for your chat book. It's so tiny, uh, too. It's a chat book. <laughs> I know. 
I'm gonna buy a hundred of them just to be have it be the size of a, a normal book. <laughs> I would say go for it, but there's only limited copies. <laughs> <laughs> no one else can have them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I took a like mixed genre course in the MFA that was poetry or I think the course was called pop flash and form so it was like popular writing flash fiction and form poetry oh yeah I missed out on that workshop yeah it was Big there time. was a whole lot going on there but <laughs> it really helped me push my writing because I decided that I was going to treat that as my poetry workshop and as much as possible I was going to be writing poems while I was in that workshop and I wrote a number of things that I really, really ended up liking, but also it helped me use poetry kind of as a, a vehicle for breaking and breaking down the language that I use in prose. Mm. Uh, because I got really into, you know, the way that you could put a poem into a form you know, based entirely on sound and also on like head sound, because not all of these poems are ever going to be read aloud. Um, and I also got really interested in like approaching meaning without necessarily giving a full, you know, like meaningful semantic phrase. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of it's stuff that I probably will never publish and probably wouldn't be interesting to other people, but it really helped me reflect on how you can really bend language to your will beyond poetry too in a way that will be more accessible for other people also right and that's like something that you already came into the program with right with your linguistics background yeah yeah definitely and i think like writing for me has always been very sound based because mm -hmm. uh i read very slowly and with a very clear voice in my head so you know i'm always thinking about the way the book i'm reading sounds and that just writing it in poetry kind of helped me bring that out mm -hmm. well i was just thinking of that workshop we took together of the screenwriting workshop mm. where our professor asked us to first before we began writing present our favorite type of movie or series and why we enjoy it so much and try to do like an analysis of how it's written and how it functions um yeah. and i presented uh cuarons y tu mamá también which is like my favorite movie ever um, right it covers all my bases <laughs> the and you gave a great lecture <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I keep thinking about what you just said about like blurring the line between like a movie or like a book. And they, every time I watch that movie, it feels like I just finished watching, like reading a really good book. Mm. And now that uh, Guaron's other movie, Roma, is on Netflix, and I watched that, and I could totally see the lines that connect that other work, Itumama Tambien, and this one. And I was like, this guy's doing it. He's like following his calling, like his genre of environmental, of exploring class, of uh, talking about relationships, um, exploring the colonial history of Mexico, all of those works. And it's just like, he keeps on exploring the same themes, but in different really cool ways. And it keeps on paying off on screen. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like extremely inspiring because I keep thinking that all my work is about the same shit. Like, just as he sort of, like, manages to explore the same theme, but in different ways in film, I hope that I could do that in my poetry and in my fiction, but it doesn't sound or feel repetitive type of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, my, what I'm striving to do here doesn't feel like, 
I don't know, like I'm <laughs> a one-trick pony type of thing, but right. also that it transcends genre at the same time. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. You don't want to, you don't want to feel like you're, uh, I don't know, Hemingwaying it, where you've written ten different books, but they're all basically <laughs> the same book. Yeah, I don't want to do that and other things that he did. <laughs> oh yeah, we won't even go there. I have, I have one thing I wanted to talk about, just in terms of. Or like going back to, you know, external inspiration and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention that's really like gratifying, but also gives me the energy to continue with my own creative projects is like, for example, your chat book or uh, our friend Maddie's book that's coming out in like April, I think. And Ju- July, I thought. July? Maybe. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Well, Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe also has a book coming out in July. Oh, wonderful. Uh, her first uh, collection of poetry. Oh, like, wow. full collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, man, seeing other people's success that I've, like, been close to and worked closely with feels so good that i am like i i want to give this back i want to do good work so that like someone can realize how happy they made me feel oh wow that's wonderful that's community (laughs) that's right Mm -hmm. i feel that too yeah that was just the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, Bronte. Thanks, it was a lie. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to make our fans fall in love with you. Uh, it's too late for them. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, that was so uh, beautiful. It is it is so amazing seeing other people accomplishing things yeah like whose work you workshopped and you were there and you met them and you you saw them struggle in the library (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty great there were these writers who came back to our campus and gave a reading uh writers who who were graduated from our program and who had published work and they came back and gave a reading and talked about like what this program had done for them and where they were now and how they managed to sort of like not sneak into the publishing world, but be a part of it. Um, And that's like my goal to like give back to the place that not raised me, but (laughs) made me kind of Um, like one day I want to go back to Iowa state and like give a reading and be like, you know what you, you feel your heart like sinking because you don't know what to write and you want to vomit. I was that girl too. <laughs> but look at me now. <laughs> Do you know how many depression naps I took? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a total of like, you know, a thousand, a thousand hours uh, worth of naps, guys. And now I have a book. Uh, no, but uh, 
I feel like that was something really beautiful, like sort of like an incentive that the program did for us, making us think of, you know, it's possible type of thing. Um, but also I felt really nice. Like we're part of not a, like, yes, a legacy of sorts, the Iowa State legacy. And it felt, it felt important. Interesting. You, you felt yourself connected to kind of the, the flow of time through the MFA. Right. Like I did leave my mark, my thesis in the library. People could go read about like a bull killing a girl anytime they want, you know, in the park's <laughs> library. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe what I feel really is that I've made a dent and that feels nice. That does feel nice. And it's, of course, made a dent in me, too. A <laughs> <laughs> dent. Maybe We're both we dented. Have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to just mention one thing that I, I have thought about since last week in terms of ways that I'm dented. Uh, <laughs> there are positive ways and there are less positive ways. But to go back to from last week, you know, the why writing is so hard sometimes part of you know becoming part of this legacy of writers from our program and just becoming connected to the writing world in this way was i think an expectation for myself that i didn't have previous to the mfa where I found when I sat down and tried to write out the uh, solar punk story that you challenged me to last time. Right. That I was writing and I'm like, oh, if I could, I could never, ever publish this. Um, and I like realized now that I have so much more of an expectation of myself of professional quality that, mm -hmm. you know, that itself has... Uh, sort of become a block, you know, looking at like real people who publish real books and who had the same professors I have from sometimes that, uh, that pressure sort of builds up. So it's negative? I think so sometimes. At the very least, it like makes me look at my, I guess, the the like means and ends of my relationship with writing have sort of changed post MFA mm -hmm. uh, where now I have a, like the idea of a certain standard to uphold. And I don't think it's all negative, but right. it's so different than what I was used to going into the program mm -hmm. that I think I just have to adjust to that coming out and also like sort of renegotiate, my own uh, expectations for my writing and you know what other people's expectations for my writing were. Right. This is like a good dent. Well, it's like, you now know that you can do better. You have a high standard for yourself. And when you start writing things just for the sake of writing, you do put that, put that pressure on yourself of like, where is this going? How is this doing? Um, and that's when it could become maybe detrimental. Yeah. Or I think like, you know, what, what we wanted to do in the last week in terms of writing was just an experiment, right? It was like a, 
a little um, like a sketch. Mm-hmm. And in basically every other artistic discipline, you create things and you imitate things and you know that these are never for publication or that these are never for anybody's eyes but your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think like in writing that is less present. Right. So, you know, when I sat down to, to write the, the kind of outline of this story, it's something that I, I said in my mind, like, you know, this is just for me. This is never to publish. But then there's like kind of the voice in the back of my head going, if you're not trying to publish this, what's the point? Oh, yeah. And I think that can be counterproductive, but it's also sort of like embedded in the writing culture. Yeah. I mean, it does have its pros, like maybe pushing you to work harder or reconsider your ideas or something. But that question at that moment, maybe just made you stop writing. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think about this a lot, like the whole MFA granted me a permission to be critical of my work, but also of others. So now that I see when something is published and I read it, I feel like I have a say to, and and I can judge the craft of that of that writer. And and I feel like that's a, a gift I was given. Like before I didn't have, whatever was published was published because it's beautiful, it's perfect. And mm. now I have like an opinion. Mm-hmm. which kind of like what we talked about earlier, like teacher mode, like now I can sort of like see things beyond and sort of think about what were they thinking when they were writing this and what were they thinking when they were writing this type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it, it applies just as much to other people's work as to my work. And I feel, I feel that stop sometimes. I'm like, who the fuck is going to run or read this story? Um, who would put themselves through that amount of pain type of thing. But that also has pushed me to write some like fucking things that I didn't know I could do. So it's like maybe finding the balance between that critique Mm -hmm. and just like writing. (laughs) Yeah. It's what's going to save us. Yeah. That's really, really, it's just crucial, right? Mm -hmm. It's, going going too far either direction and overly critical of everything you read is going to be absolutely pleasureless and ultimately like useless and meaningless not just as a a creator or an artist but as someone who enjoys reading right but then at the same time if you if you totally abandon that kind of learned analytical process it'll be really hard to advance yourself as a writer Mm -hmm. that balance is tough which i think is one of the reasons that reading all types of genres is really important Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it makes you forget that paradigm that you're in and i don't know the process as intimately for say making a comic book and the decisions that go into that Mm -hmm. so i can read that a little bit more uh I can read freely. that a little bit more freely, organically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that might be like a good assignment for us for next week. Read something else. <laughs> okay. And just like fucking enjoy it. Oh, that's going to be hard for me. 
I don't know. Well, well, like with Sing Unburied Sing, I didn't even, like in the first chapter, I was so in it that I just, I didn't do the whole analysis thing. It was after I was done crying that I was like, how did she do this? How did she make me cry? Right. And had to go back and read it again immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. And then that, that was when I learned from it. Maybe I'll find something like that too. Um, Ava Limon's poetry always sort of just like submerges me and I'm in there because she writes prose poetry. She's like, you know, my jam type of girl. Uh-huh. And like, and her work is like, it you know, stabs you in the heart and it's beautiful and also inspires me to be like, I'm going to write about like a field also like type of stuff. So maybe it's also, yeah, about expanding your reading and finding, you know, the books that you're meant to read. So do you want to read something completely uh, unrelated to what we would normally read for next time? Well, that's also the challenge is like, how do you know what you're meant to read if you don't fucking read everything? Right. So that's what I think I got to do. Just like swallow the whole world's books. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe I sh- I will look into Ada Limon because I do have her is it small dead things. Ooh, uh, bright dead things. Bright dead things. Yeah. And there's there's two collections from different authors. One's bright dead things. I think one's small buried things. Oh, <laughs> so that's Deborah Marquardt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit, dude. I just put those together. <laughs> I think I have both of those. Maybe I should do that for next time. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a famous title. <laughs> I just recently purchased, which you know this because I sent you a message freaking out about this, but <laughs> a, a sci-fi, like an anthology of sci-fi work from Ecuadorian writers. I saw this in my university's bookstore and almost screamed because I was like, this is what I've been searching for, wondering if anyone ever has written speculative work here in here in Ecuador. I mean, I know there's Wasipungo and I know there's like Don Goyo, which are magical realism of Ecuador, but has anyone ever delved into the sci-fi world? And the answer is yes, there are people. And why didn't we read this in high school is my question. Um, and I feel like that's my homework, just like to read those texts for inspiration, but also like how did you do it <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, you you need to read those definitely. Uh, and this is the one right where none of the authors are like post-1900. Aha! <laughs> They're all dead! You know what I really want to know is like, well, probably there's another volume of this coming out and they'll have more contemporary writers, but like what what sort of happened that these texts all disappeared to some degree or that like sci-fi fell out of the, the sort of Ecuadorian Mm -hmm. literary consciousness to where it was so hard for you to find even this book. Yeah. um, I was shocked when I found it and I read like the introduction, like the, the, like the essay that the editor writes at the beginning. And he said that these are works that, have been published before in newspaper and journals back way back then. And Uh like people didn't, you know, register them. And that like he describes the collection as unheard of, like literally 
So it's like maybe there's a renaissance happening and I'm not a part of it and I'm kind of pissed about it. Like, where can I join the party? <laughs> like, remember I told you I did a poetry reading here once, which I kind of like snuck my way in. It was like Day of the Dead reading poetry, um, which here in Ecuador we call Dia de los Difuntos instead of Dia de los Muertos. And I was part of a reading with just like a bunch of old people. Yeah, I remember this. And I was like, is this a literary scene? Is this where I have to like sneak in with old men who write about like how beautiful it is to kill a bull? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> but I think I found it. I think I'm onto something here. Good. Yeah, you, you, you should find a way to get in touch with the editor if you can. Well, yeah, I told you he's like, well, one of the people who wrote the notes section is a professor in, in where I work at. So that's right. Yeah, I'm going to oh, dig a little further. You have such an exciting path to finding this community ahead of you. Ooh la la, yes. Uh, <laughs> I also, hope it's not a bummer. <laughs> me too. This also, though, reminds me of another sort of like uh, dabbling interest of mine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say actually dabbling but like uh outside of the fiction poetry and like literary working kind of like world that i'm used to mm -hmm. I, I wonder how much of that uh anthology is born out of archival work and i've been thinking a lot about archival work as part of like the creative process recently mm -hmm. um just because I, I read a number of good nonfiction books that like have sort of changed my idea of of research. And I think that like the idea of archives is maybe undervalued in a lot of the like writing uh, advice that I've seen. Mm -hmm. I am fascinated now with archives. And I think that that could be an interesting road going forward for me definitely and probably for a lot of other writers i mean that's where you find the good stuff well i saw something recently that said you know that's not where you find the stories that's where you create your own histories like you mm. you don't have all of the pieces of something that is a, a cohesive story you know and doing like historical research you do create your own narratives mm-hmm yeah, I think you're onto something. I mean, you're participating in like a web of, of narratives here. And then from that, you maybe dig out your own or create your own. Hmm. And I think that's uh, beautiful and at the moment a little bit mysterious. Well, thank you for sharing what's been inspiring you and for listening to me talk about forever about, you know, things that I really enjoy. Um, and thank you for not pressuring me to write because I hate that. Um, <laughs> I did my best to not pester you about it. Yeah, thanks. That really works. Um, and I'll see you, I guess. Not see you, but hear you? What? Yeah. <laughs> I'll hear from you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening. Next episode, we want to answer some questions from our beloved new listeners. Send us an email for a topic or a question or 
a writing confession, you can find us at writingdying at protonmail.com. W-R-I-T-I-N-G-D-Y-I-N-G at protonmail.com.